He's your Savior, but is He your King? Is where we left off last week. So many times we talk about the gospel or what, what the Christian message is, and yet many of us are okay with the idea of Jesus as Savior, but what that ends up turning into is simply bumper sticker Christianity. It, it's as if we're in NASCAR and we've got a sticker, we've got a sponsor. And so Jesus is sponsoring our activities and Jesus is, is, is uh, helping us do what we're doing. He's helping us finish a race that we started and the finishing of that race looks like my success and my whatever, my, uh, my life going well and things working out for me. But no one ever considers, or we don't often consider, the reality that your Christian life, your life as a whole may become worse because of your Christianity. Some of you will lose your jobs because of your Christianity. Some of you will make less money. Some of you uh, will sacrifice some things. And, and I would submit to you that it is only those who know that Jesus is king that make it through that. And it, it comes out of, our, our Christianity comes out of this idea that he's just my savior and it goes into, he's my savior and my king. And as my king, he is in charge. He is ruling and reigning in my life, in this place where I stand. In my, in my responsibilities as a, as a husband and a father, in my workplace, he's ruling and he's reigning in where I am at. But American Christianity is not really at that level. Let's be honest. You know, we need, we need a band, and I love our band. We, we need a band to worship, or we need, we need comfort to worship, never realizing that the church has predominantly been under persecution at different times. And as it's been under persecution, it, it has met in uncomfortable places without climate control and without bans and with people who just believe that Jesus is king so much that they're willing to have their lives sacrificed literally. On that reality. So throughout this entire series, which we're calling Divine Paradox, we're going to continue to come back to this reality that the definition of a Christian is not someone who just says Jesus is my Savior, but somebody who truly believes that Jesus is their King. And you and I battle with this on a regular basis. 
And so what I, what I want to get to today is this, is why should you desire the kingdom of God? Now, I, yes, it's, it's right. It's, it's almost a moral clause I'm giving you. You should believe that Jesus is your Savior, yes, but he's saved you, that he can be your king, yes. That's a moral imperative, and I'm telling you, you should do that. That's really what we focused on last week. We're, and our repentance comes from saying, uh, my kingdom come and my will be done, as opposed to saying, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our repentance is coming from that. But I, I want to dive deeper into why you should care about the kingdom of God. Why on earth should you want the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? Why should you want it? Why would you need it? Why would you desire it? Why, 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 would, you, why would you look for it? And we talked last week briefly about how all of the misunderstandings about what the kingdom of God is. Some people believe that it's later. Some people believe that we're building it and that we're bringing it and that it's, it's up to us. And there's numerous heresies that go along with this or misunderstandings. So what's a proper understanding of this? Why should we want this kingdom in our lives? Why should we want it to be a part of us? And, and let me continue to reiterate this. I think it's life-changing. I think it is I think it's life-changing on a level that maybe you have never experienced before as a Christian. We walk through our lives and we go, you know, what else is there to my Christianity? What else is there to my life? And let me, let me dig, dig a little bit here and cut a little bit. Is your Christianity, if you're a believer here today, and by the way, if you're not a believer, you don't claim to be a believer, I, I hope that you would welcome these statements. Uh, is your Christianity simply wrapped up in one thing, and that is that you have attended church occasionally, your occasional attendance at a church building, never realizing that the church is a group of people, God calls you to be a part of community, and yet you resist it on a regular basis, and so your Christianity, the sum total of it, is that you have attended a building where someone yelled at you for a while, Right? Is, is your Christianity summed up in the fact that you listen to Caleb and that you, that you, you try to think nice thoughts? Is, is, is your faith rooted in some of these just regular Christian things because you vote as a Republican? Or because you, uh, you send your kids to Christian school? Or because you homeschool your kids? What's, what, what is defining your Christianity? And I, I want to tell you that the kingdom of God changes the landscape as to what is Christianity and what is simply moralistic, therapeutic deism, saying, God, uh, I'll do what you want me to do, and you help me. You just you help me do what I'm going to do. And basically we're saying, God, as long as you honor my kingdom... As long as you honor who I am and what I want to be and what I've determined that I'm going to do, then I will continue to submit to you. 
But the kingdom of God changes the landscape. It changes everything. But let me tell you this. The kingdom of God is what you've always wanted, but you never seem to get. The kingdom of God is the thing that you've always wanted, but you never seem to get. And, and what, what do we want? We want uh, health in our lives. We want things to, uh, to go okay. We want injustice to be stopped in our world. We want uh, people like ISIS to go away, to be judged. We want suffering to be alleviated. We want, we want people to thrive. We want to see uh, people served. These are all things that, we, that are in our, our life. We want these things. We want these things. And so here's the thing. The thing that you've always wanted is the kingdom of God, and yet we don't get it. We don't get it often. And it's because we have a massive misunderstanding as to how it comes to us and what's resisting us. If you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, I just want to read verse 13. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now what, is, what does this mean? It means this. It means that there is a domain. There's a realm. There's, there's a sphere of, of influence. And that sphere of influence is under darkness. When we talk about Jesus as Savior, which, by the way, I am not diminishing, Jesus is our Savior. Verse 14, in fact, says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We wholeheartedly believe that. When we talk about what we've been saved from, it's not just that I've been saved from my sins and then I go on with my life and I try to sin less. It's not just that I'm, I have a Savior, it's that I have been transferred from one domain which is under darkness and I've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, which is what we're speaking about. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, the kingdom of his beloved son, all the same thing. And so what does this mean? It's not just that he's saved me and now I'm in a great position. And it's not just that I'm waiting for some point to come when I will finally be transferred to the kingdom of God. And this comes from the error of believing that the kingdom of God is simply just heaven. So he's transferred me from this and he's transferred me to, uh, to heaven, from darkness to light. And so therefore, I'm just waiting for heaven. No. The kingdom of God is 
right here and right now. And by the way, it is later, but that's confusing. That's why we called it divine paradox. But we'll just stay with the right here and the right now. So I don't get saved and then try to be morally good and just kind of waiting for the end to come while I pursue all of my endeavors and my kingdom and all of my stuff. No, he has transferred me and you from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. It has happened. It is here. It is now. And it's later. Let's stick with the now. The kingdom of God is now. And in a sense, we are talking about heaven. We're not waiting for heaven up there somewhere. We are waiting and we are looking for and we are representatives of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his beloved son, right here and right now. But what keeps us from that? The domain of darkness. The domain of darkness and not realizing, because here's what I believe. Every single one of us is duped into believing that somehow that we're just waiting for something to take place. We've, we've been duped into believing that somehow, like, life really isn't that bad. We say things like, you know, I believe people are generally good. We, we fail to realize what domain we exist in, and yet we as God's people have been transferred into his kingdom, and yet we're still kind of in this age, in the here and now, we are still in this domain of darkness. And so we fail to see what's going on around us, what's happening in our world. We fail to see that we are in the midst of a battle. We fail to see that there are covert operations that are happening constantly in our midst, and yet we don't recognize them as such. In fact, that is very much what the New Testament says. If you remember Jesus' temptation, the temptation of, uh, of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 4, if you were to work, look at verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him, that is Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you. Think about that for a second. Satan takes Jesus and he says, look at all of the kingdoms that I own. All of the kingdoms of this world. They are under my control, and I will give them to you if you will worship me. If you fall down and you worship me. Guess what Satan is saying to you? I'll give you the keys to the kingdoms of this world if you will follow me. But see, Jesus was about his kingdom, the kingdom of God. He's the one that inaugurates that kingdom. And he says, no. I'm not going after your kingdoms. I am instituting, I am inaugurating my kingdom. I'm not going after you. I'm not going to worship you. I am bringing, inaugurating, beginning my kingdom right here and right now. Satan owns the kingdoms 
of this world. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What are we under? The kingdoms of the world are under Satan's control. He's offering them to us at various times. I will give you the keys to pleasure. I'll give you the keys to enjoyment. I'll give you the things of life if you would just bow down and worship me. And then we see, we see this, and it's the Apostle Paul is saying, when you became a Christian, when you placed faith in Jesus Christ, what happened was this, is that you went from being somebody who is following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. He goes on to say in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let me give you some hope. But God, being rich in mercy, made us, uh, I'm sorry, because of the great love with which he loved us. I'll stop right there. Our problem, the darkness that is that we exist in, the darkness that is a part of our world, is everywhere. Every single one of us is entangled in it. And what is said about us from Paul in uh, Colossians is that we should no longer be a part of that darkness. And that now that darkness is, we are no longer a part of that, and now we're into the light, the kingdom of his beloved son, And so something very marked must happen in our lives. Something must take place. Again, in Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Christian is someone who is mindful of this. Like, why do I want the kingdom of God? Because this world is under this, uh, Satan and his kingdoms. He is controlling it. He is behind the scenes making things work. And we don't see it. We don't see it. And why don't we see it? And it's because we don't understand where it has come from. If you were to look back in Genesis chapter 1, what you would see is that the kingdom of God is all throughout Scripture. They don't use the word kingdom necessarily, but we are talking about the rule and the reign and the dominion of God. God's rule, his reign, and his dominion, the the realm in which he is in control. And so when you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what you see is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is clearly in charge. God is creator. 
God is the one who is creating things. He's speaking things into existence. He's saying this will exist, and it comes into existence. In the same way, when we have children, if we've had the pleasure of having children, what happens is this, is that this child is created, and now that child is under our rule, under our reign, under our dominion. And if he or she is not, we're held responsible for that by the authorities. And they say, this child was, you birthed this child, and yet you don't care for it. You're not ruling it. You're not reigning over it. And so there is a problem there. The, the truth is, is that we must be king over this child. We must rule it. God, in the same way as creator, is the model of this, and he is ruling, and he is reigning. You go on to the creation of man in verse 26 of chapter 1 in Genesis. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. God's image is passed to us in ways that we don't even know about, but one of those ways is that God as creator, as ruler, as reigning in his dominion, creates man and he gives man the responsibility, he delegates to the man and he says, you must rule and reign in my place and in that is my image. I am giving you my image in this, you're imaging God. Sometimes theology books or commentaries call, call this, God calls, uh, uh, um, uh, creates us as vice regents. We're essentially people who are there as an authority uh, for God in creation. So God creates us. And then what, what happens? And God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. There it is again, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, God gives us his authority. He gives us responsibility to uh, uh, be fruitful and multiply, to oversee the animals, to, uh, to take care of this garden, to expand it, to cause this thing to become better and better, to rule it, to, um, to um, bring order to it in some ways. And then he breathes uh, the breath of life into man. He brings him into, into existence. And I'm sorry, I, I, I did that backwards. God did that and then gave us that responsibility. My bad. Here we go. <laughs> uh, and then Genesis chapter 3, what happens? What happens is this, is that this snake comes in. Now, who is a, a snake? A snake is an animal. And the snake is what the man and the woman are supposed to be ruling and reigning over as God's vice regents. The snake comes in. What does the snake do? 
The snake says this, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So the snake comes in and he begins to question God and he begins to, uh, be, begins to say like this God and what he says is not true. He's keeping something from you. He's, he's keeping this away from you. And ironically, instead of believing the one that has given them the responsibility to rule over the animals, now they believe the animal, who turns out to be Satan. They believe this animal, and what takes place? Death. Death takes place. Because God had said this, in the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. You will surely die. And sin is a symptom of death. Sin, sin is a symptom of death. And so what happens from that point on is tragic. It's darkness comes over this world. It's absolutely tragic. Uh, from one story to another, you see Cain and Abel. And you see in uh, the story of Cain and Abel, let me get there. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. And it says, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What does Cain go out and do? Instead of hearing God and listening to him and listening to the creator God who has given them responsibility and has given them dominion, the result of darkness in his life, the result of darkness on this earth, what takes place? It's Cain kills Abel. His face falls. He gets angry. God warns him and says, if you do what is right, will it not go well for you? What, what begins to take place? Adam and Eve allow the snake, Satan, to question God. And they say, you know what? You're right. I don't know about this God. I don't know about what he's saying. I don't know that I trust him. You know, you, you know what? I'm going to listen to his creation. I'm going to listen to this instead of to the Lord God. Cain does the same thing. You go to chapter 6 of Genesis, and it says in verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. We see uh, continually, over and over and over again, you're, you see the questioning of God that leads to death and destruction. 
The questioning of God comes in, uh, in, in into, the, uh, into this realm, and what happens is that death and destruction continues. So then God says, I'm going to blot out humanity, and through his grace, he saves Noah and his family. And he says, I want you to go build this gigantic boat, which I believe actually happened. And I want you to bring on all of these animals. And it's just this ridiculous thing that God would ask Noah to do. But what does Noah do? He obeys. And we see in Noah's life, we see Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah hears the voice of God. God says, I'm going to save you. This is, these are the steps that you need to take. And Noah obeys God. So what happens there? Darkness is now going to be restrained. God's going to wipe out all of these people and he's going to save these people. Noah obeys. He has faith. And God saves those people. And then you keep walking through the scriptures and you see Noah himself has problems in his own family. And so you begin to see the deterioration again. And then you go on a little bit further and you see God begin to do something new and he calls Abram. And what does he call Abram out of? He calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He calls him out of there, out of this idol-worshiping nation that were horrific, horrific people. He calls them out of there, and what, is, and what does he do? He says, I want you to be my guy. I'm going to make a covenant with you. He says in verse 2 of chapter 12, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless uh, you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham believes God, and it was, was counted to him as righteousness. It says, Abraham goes, and he says, okay, God, I'm leaving there. I'm going to follow your direction. And so what is God doing? What is God doing? Darkness comes into the world. People disobey. They don't listen to him. God is not their king. And so this paradise that God creates, which is his kingdom in perfection, becomes destroyed because of this. Because saying, I don't think I believe God. And then Cain kills his, his brother because I'm not going to listen to God. And then a story I skipped was the Tower of Babel. Say, I'm going to make a name for myself outside of God. But the people who are walking with God hear ridiculous things. They hear ridiculous things. Make a gigantic boat, and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to, I'm going to recreate everything. And Noah says, okay, I'll do it. God says ridiculous things to Abraham. I'm going to give you a kid after you've, your wife has been barren forever. I'm going to give you a kid. And he obeys and he, he hears him. He screwed up along the way. But he obeys God. What, what are we seeing here? The dominion of darkness has begun and it, it has overtaken and it has disrupted God's kingdom in perfection. 
this incredible paradise becomes paradise lost. But God has announced that he was going to bring paradise back. And the way that he did that was in chapter 3, verse 15. At the very beginning, when God judges the enemy, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what's that say? It says this, that there is going to be an offspring that comes from the family that I start. And the family that he starts is the family of Abraham. And through that family, through that lineage is going to come this one who is going to take out the snake. See, the kingdom of God is throughout all of scripture. The kingdom of God is the answer to the darkness that comes at the beginning of our scriptures. And the kingdom of God must be here and now. It must be in our lives. It must be a part of what we're doing or we are missing it. Jesus must be our savior, yes, but is he our king? Do we obey him the way that Noah obeys God? Do we obey him the way that Abraham obeys God? Do we obey him in the midst of ridiculous circumstances? Give up your business so that you can serve and follow me. Give up the things that you have so that uh, uh, you can be a part of what I'm doing in this city or in this, this place. One of the biggest uh, problems, I was talking to, to some church planter friends of mine, and they were saying there's not as many men that want to plant churches. These guys are from Seattle, and they were saying, and they were talking about what the problem may be with that. We don't have as many men coming in and wanting to be a part of this. Well, the economy is good, and wages are kind of going up, and there's great paying jobs around, and so men who have incredible skills do not understand the kingdom of God, and so they're not willing to obey God and do something ridiculous like build a gigantic boat or leave your family home and everyone behind. They're not willing because they don't understand that this has happened. I've been called out of the domain of darkness, and I am into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so heaven isn't then and there. It's here and now, and I am here to live in it. And my Christianity is not described by the fact that I go to a building on Sunday, but it is described by the kingdom and the king that I belong to and that I sit under. It is that king it is that kingdom. And so what if more of our men gave up great paying jobs to go start churches where they are not? What if men and women heard the call of God and said, I want to be operating within the kingdom of God? And I'm willing to do something ridiculous simply because he's called. And I'm not waiting for something. I'm not waiting to build my kingdom. I am in the kingdom of his beloved son. And so last thing I want to do this morning is I want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 25. 
Because I think something begins to, to make sense. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 is uh, an extension of what God, or I'm, I'm sorry, what Jesus, and Jesus is God, so that was true as well, but um, chapter 25, verse 1 says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, and so Jesus begins to tell some stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like, right? And so 25, verse 31 says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So what is it talking about? Something we're going to get into more later, but we have the kingdom of God right here. We've been transferred into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his beloved son, but we're also waiting for the full fulfillment of that kingdom at Jesus' second coming. So this is speaking of when Jesus returns and he finally fully inaugurates his kingdom, What's going to happen? He's going to bring all of these angels. He's going to sit on his glorious th throne. And what is he going to do? He's going to judge. He's going to judge. And so what we want to know is, is there a prep test? Like, I mean, if this is a test, can I take a prep test? Can I take some of these tests and just understand what this looks like? And this is what Jesus says. Like, the kingdom of God is this. He says, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Verse 34. Then the king, the king, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Stop right there. You don't want to be on the left. I'm not saying you don't want to be a Democrat, but um, you don't want to be on the left. You want to be on the right. And the people on the right are the people who acknowledge him as king. The king will say to those on his right. He's, he's going to talk to them. He, he says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And why is this? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and, and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, why does it seem like Jesus is saying good works are what gets you to heaven? Because we spend most of our time saying you cannot get to heaven through your good works. You cannot, and I, I will affirm this, you cannot get to eternal life through your good works. But I will tell you this, that the people who have been saved 
the people who not, not only see Jesus as Savior, but see him as their king, are people who look in the world, and they see the darkness. They see what's happening. And one thing that happens in their life is that they're uprooting darkness out of their own life. They're saying, I've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, and I am in the kingdom of his beloved son. And so where it starts, where it begins is with me, in my heart. Hey, wait a second, Satan. You're, you're telling me that I should doubt God. You want me to bow down and worship you? I, you're not Satan, I'm sorry. Yeah. You want me to bow down and worship you? And go after one of your kingdoms? No. I'm... I'm a child of the king. I've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And so what does that mean? I am a kingdom. I, I am a child of the kingdom. I'm a kingdom representative. And so what am I looking for? Where can I reveal what God is doing in his kingdom? Where in my world is there suffering? Where in my world does there need to be healing? Where in my world is there somebody that needs a drink of water and needs a meal, that needs a visit in prison? See, someone who's been transferred into the kingdom says, I want to see the kingdom overtake the darkness. See, sin is a symptom of death. That sin is the darkness that, is come, that has come over this world. And Jesus comes and he brings to life his kingdom in a way. And he causes us to be kingdom representatives. And he says, listen to me. If I am your king, if I am your savior, then what's going to take place in your life is that there will be tangible changes that have happened because otherwise I'm not your king. You are your king. You're going after another kingdom that's not of me. Say, well, I'm saved by grace and I, I don't need to do anything. No, you're missing the point of the life of Jesus Christ. The point of the life of Jesus Christ was to reveal his kingdom to preach about it, and then it goes to the cross to enable us to be a part of it. And so what takes place as a result is that kingdom people are people who are alleviating suffering. And so what does this mean? We can serve our city without having an ulterior motive that says, I only want to preach the gospel. I'll serve you as long as you decide to believe in what I believe in. Because that's not the message. The message is, I serve the king, I serve the king of kings, and that king says that his kingdom brings with it blessing. The child that comes through the line of Abraham is going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming to bear on our city. And whether you believe or not, 
We are here to reveal the kingdom of God in our time, in our place. God is building his kingdom. He's doing his thing. We're here to reveal it. God, show us. But why don't we? Why don't we do this? Because it sounds nice in a sermon. You'll leave here. You'll forget this by the time you hit the parking lot. Why? Because life takes over. Because my world is busy and my family is, is busy. My family's busy. And as a result, it just, it just gets forgotten. Well, God wants me to be happy, right? Well, here's the thing, is that you don't understand the kingdom. And I don't understand the kingdom. As we go into our world, we, we just forget that he's our king. And we forget that this is what I'm on earth to do. And all the kingdoms of the world are being offered to us. And so we say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick one of those. I'm going to pick one of those. Why do we need the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of God is here to give us what we've always wanted, but in the way that we never thought we wanted it. We need the kingdom of God because the kingdom of darkness has overtaken this world. And it causes death and it causes destruction. It causes horrific things in our world. We need the kingdom of God to be revealed in our city. We need the kingdom of God to be revealed in our homes. We need the kingdom of God to be revealed in our hearts and in our minds. And I want to tell you something. You can say that Jesus is your Savior, but if he is not your king, you need to rethink your Christianity. And I want to tell you, if you're not somebody sitting right here right now that says, well, I need to be rethinking this, you, may, you need to start because I don't think this is just for you. This is for me. Say, Jesus, are you king in my life? God, where do I resist you? Where do I resist your rule and your reign in my life? And not just so that I can be more moral, but so that I can push back the darkness. Where do I need that in my life? What, what needs to happen in me? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Guys, we need to repent as a church. And I don't mean just once. We need to start a process of repentance. I'm serious. That says, what do we as a church, as God's people, need to repent of? Making Christianity about us. Making the church services all about white middle class Americans. Making uh, my world and my Christianity about serving me and my needs. Where do we need to repent? I don't like serving homeless people sometimes. 
But somehow Jesus thinks that when you serve the least of these, that this is really a tangible expression of the kingdom of God. The darkness is not just out there. The darkness is in here. The darkness is in here saying, no, I don't want to. But is Jesus our king or isn't he? Is he ruling and reigning right here and right now or isn't he? So I want to ask our community group leaders, isn't it? I, I, I need to ask you that you would spend an inordinate amount of time sitting and talking in your community groups. And by the way, if you're not in a community group, you should get more. Um, an inordinate amount of time saying, where else do we need to repent because Jesus is not, not king in our lives? Okay, where else? And we need to come back to this and come back to it and come back to it because, dang it, we want the kingdom of God. Here, in our place, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't you want to pray that and mean it? I do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that um, we as a people would not feel condemnation but God, that we would look to you and to your cross and know that you went to the cross and we are no longer under condemnation, even for these areas where we have failed to make you king. And Lord, if, if, if everyone here is like me, this is not something that I have given a lot of thought to in the past. That Lord, you are king in my life. You rule and you reign. Lord, I pray that this would be said of us, that you are our king. Lord, that we would repent regularly of where you have not been, where we have not allowed you to rule and to reign and followed you by faith. Lord, would you do a great work in our lives, Lord, and in our church. Lord, may this not be the would change not be the result of emotionalism or feeling guilty, but to say yes to your kingdom and, your, and to your kingship. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to, th this morning as we go to the Lord's table to go there in a spirit just saying, God, how, how have I not looked to you as king in my life? Not just in the things that I... Have, have, have done the immorality or what have you, but in the things that I haven't done. How have I not allowed you to be king in my life and in my city? Let's, let's pray through that and then let's go to the Lord's table and thanking Jesus for his body and his blood that was shed on the cross for us.